Welcome to the Digital Transformationists podcast. On today's episode, we have the incredible opportunity of connecting with Malud Seccarelli, CEO and founder of Remote Forever Summit. Join us as Malud shares the story of how her passion for agile and remote work began, Remote Forever Summit, and what it looks like in the exceptional year that is 2020, the power of connection and storytelling, and what the future holds when it comes to distributed working. Today's episode is brought to you by Mercado. Malud, welcome to the podcast. It's so good to see you. Thank you how so are you? much. Thanks for having me. I'm well. Yeah. How about you? Doing great. Thank you. Uh, it's a pleasure to introduce you to Garrett Dutton, the G-Love. Hey, Malud. Nice to meet you. Thanks for, thanks for joining us today. Thank you for having me. It's nice to meet you too. It's a little later in the day in Stockholm, but uh, th- thanks for hanging late in the day. Um, uh, Lisa Atkins uh, connected us. And Lisa Atkins, is, as a lot of people know, is the Agile coach of Agile coaches. Um, it looks like y'all have been friends and know each other going back a while now. Uh, I think this connection itself is just kind of another uh, great example of the digital transformation's ability to connect people. So I'm super grateful that uh, she got us connected and, and that we're here chatting. Um, You've been an advocate of remote work for a long time, um, and, and you've worked with distributive teams largely in the, the Agile space. Um, you've also built an incredible career from developer to scrum master to Agile coach to COO, COO uh, CEO and founder now of, of a business. Um, tell us more about your career and, and how you went through this journey uh, from, from Agile to ro- uh, remote work. That's a good question. Here comes my story. <laughs> I was a computer security major. I was in love with everything computer science, but at the same time, I had graduated in my undergrad uh, from a program called Information Technology Engineering, which was technically a mix of computer software engineering plus industrial management. And it turned out that I was pretty good at management topics. I was getting A plus in pr- practically all the topics as a student, but not really that good in programming. And in my immature brain at the time, I thought for my master's degree, I need to go for something that I'm not good at. So let's go to the hardest, toughest computer science program you can find. And that was computer security. (laughs) That's where I literally started. And obviously, after studies, I got hired as a software developer and I was thrown into building software, testing software. And my first job was in Ericsson in Sweden, which is a very well-known company. I had a job, I remember this, I had a job offer from Google and another one from Ericsson. And the Google one was in Switzerland, the Ericsson one was in Sweden, and I was doing my studies in Sweden, so I decided to stay in Sweden. Long story short, I was not a very good developer. (laughs) However, (laughs) I was very interested in the interpersonal relationships that developers had together. And that's what brought me to learning about Scrum, learning about Kanban, and later on falling into this path of understanding what Agile was, and I fell in love with it. And it also helps me realize this particular hurdle that I shared with you that you kind of need to focus on your strength rather than your weakness. Okay. So I started working as a software developer, moving from one company to the other. And interestingly enough, since you mentioned Lisa, there was a time when I thought I need a proper education in agile coaching. And I just Googled what mm. education existed in my city. 
And there was this education available by a person named Lisa Atkins and another guy called Michael Spade. And I thought, I don't know who these people are, but the training looks interesting. And I just signed up for it. And I remember that at the time my boss did not find, fund it. So I had to like, uh, spend my own money to go to this training. And I went there and it was transformative. Wow. That's literally how my agile coaching journey started. Very cool. And then we have a few years later where I was having a personal retrospective on a Sunday evening in a cafe. And it hit me that all these years of working as a developer, tester, scrum master, product owner, agile coach, I had never ever had a co-located team. And yet the agile manifesto and all the agile coaches that I was looking up to were saying that you need to be co-located in order to be agile. That's literally how my journey to remote forever started. So I started wow. challenging the idea of co-location and that began with a conference. The conference yeah. that you all know today as Remote Forever Summit. Yeah, I was going to ask about that. You started that in 2017, first of its exactly. kind. Uh, tell us more about it. So yeah, it's the continuation of the story. You're a good, good question <laughs> asker in that sense. So I brought, I thought I'm going to bring together some people who may support my idea of the fact that the world is now remote and the Agile Manifesto, when it was created, many companies did not have the possibility of collaborating remotely as we do today. And this was back in 2016 when I had this idea for the conference. So I thought I'm going to invite a few of the thought leaders and maybe a, a couple of Agile Manifesto co-authors to see if they agree with the fact that the world has changed and that we as Agile community need to respond to it. Turned out there were people who supported my idea. And at that moment, like when I was building the idea for the conference, this was almost a year before the conference, the first conference took place mm -hmm. in 2017. I thought if I get about 200 people to sign up for this conference, I'm going to be super excited and I'm going to call it a success. Okay. <laughs> wow, this was phenomenal for me because it was a very big thing. I was not ready to receive 2,700 signups wow. for that conference. You can also imagine that as an Agilist and a very new entrepreneur, I had to combine my risk-taking skills with my agile skills and respond to this little change that was happening around me which was the scope of my project was changing uh -huh. massively <laughs> wow. but yeah that's how the conference started and remote forever my business was literally started right after the first conference where i saw that there was a need in the market that people needed education people needed to really understand how to build agile companies with remote teams so today I develop workshops and trainings and I still have my conference. It has turned into an annual conference that's happening also in 2020. So your listeners, if you guys are listening to this before November 11th, 2020, that is literally when the conference is starting. So okay. you can just sign up for it and join it for free. That's amazing. So just a quick question. So was the, was your initial, um, meeting with lisa and uh what was the other guy's name mark michael michael was is he another founder of agile he's not a founder but he is a significant person in the agile world he's created the integral agile transformation model 
Okay. And was that was that initial meeting remote or was that in person? <laughs> that was an in-person class. They that, were in Stockholm where I uh, lived. Oh, uh, yeah. okay, cool. All right, and then, so, 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 yeah, so you're just gearing up right now and you're in massive crunch time uh, to get ready for th- this year's summit. And thank you for taking a minute out of your busy schedule. What's what is the uh, Remote Forever Summit 2020 look like? That's an interesting question. Nobody has asked me that before. <laughs> so this year, 2020, has been a very strange year. <laughs> there is no doubt. And I'm sure that many people listening to this podcast have gone to a lot of webinars, conferences online, many things that used to be in person suddenly became online and became accessible and available to us, right? So one of the things that I thought was acknowledging this change, because in the past, my conference was maybe one of the only two online conferences that the agile people would go to. And then you probably had the budget to go to a couple, maybe three in-person conferences on the other side of the country or the world. But this year, you could be in Minnesota and attend a conference in South Africa. <laughs> you could be in South Africa right. and attend a conference in Europe. There right. is no location anymore. And I thought this year, people are so tired of going to webinars and conferences online. Uh-huh. And I still wanted to bring my conference to life because it's become you know this annual event and many people have been sure. waiting for it. So I changed something in it. And here comes the change. Okay. So this year, <laughs> instead of bringing experts who would tell you what to do and what not to do and give you their best tips and techniques, I decided to hire a story coach who trained all the speakers in storytelling. Mm. And the speakers have prepared inspirational stories to inspire people. And the sessions are much shorter because who can sit and watch (laughs) yet another one hour talk, right? Right, right. So these are the changes that I have made. So this year is going to be a lot of stories and I hope that people who attend the conference are going to be inspired. We also have another theme that have been integrated into the plan and that's connection. So in the past, we had again a lot of instructive sessions for best how-to guides and that kind of thing. This year it's inspiration followed by open spaces every day where people can really share and connect and hold space for each other. Those yes. are the main changes. Wow. That's and really cool. so 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 you, you hired a storytelling coach? Yes. So so he basically for instance met with Lisa and and um and did did you did you take a lesson in storytelling as well? Yeah, I attended that session. I think it's paying off. That she have for- yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Maybe. That really I, I cool. learned to use That's past it. tense verbs. That was like one of the key takeaways that I had. Use past tense verbs so that your stories are believable. Because many people say, this is happening right now. And they use present tense. And okay. that makes it okay. less okay. connectable. Oh, so you say this happened. Wow. Okay. So you've got a lot of great storytellers. Uh uh, lined up for your event. Uh, Lisa Atkins, obviously, we're all a big fan of hers. Uh, and for those of you listening, she's our episode two guest, by the way. Um, you know, she talks about her... her again, maybe. <laughs> I hope I hope too. She's she's an amazing human, uh, for sure. And then another one of your, your guests slash storytellers is David Heinmeier Hansoon, co-founder of Basecamp. Um, yeah. 
that's really exciting. I mean, you know, David is, a, is an early pioneer in tools that enable people to collaborate online technology. Um, and, you know, furthermore, like now in today's era where we're all, all of our, all of us, um, you know, uh, uh, knowledge workers are working remotely. Uh, he's a pioneer, right? Yeah. Uh, tell us more exactly. about how you, how you got to meet him, how you got to, you know, get him into the, into the, the conference. And I imagine he's going to tell a great story. It is a great story. So David, he is also co-author of the book Remote mm-hmm. and another book called Rework. These two books have really been fundamental in the way that I have built my company in terms of culture, in terms of products and services, all of it. So David Hansen or DHH as he goes on Twitter, like that's his Twitter handle, right? He's mm-hmm. been one of the biggest advocates of remote working and many of my ideas are shaped by what I have learned through using the products that his company Basecamp has created, reading, like I was one of the early readers of that blog that was called Signal versus Noise. Mm-hmm. And not just the blog itself, but even just the idea of Signal versus Noise in today's world of get, getting bombarded with information, that was right. just amazing. How I got to get David is an interesting thing too. David has been a dream speaker to have at the summit mm. and every year I thought can I approach him this year am I ready for it and I dismissed it and I thought no I'm not ready yet this year I literally just used the email application that Basecamp has created called hey hey.com mm-hmm. so I am a customer of the application and it's really changed the way that I use email I used my email address in that domain sent an email to David and made it a very easy yes. And I still didn't think that he would accept it. (laughs) But then one day I got an email that he said, let's do it. And that's how it happened. (laughs) Oh, fantastic, congrats, very cool. So um, we're we're at Lassen Solutions Partners. We do a lot of business uh, in the Lassen ecosystem. And as a result of that, I I listened to the Lassen earnings calls. And on this last earnings call, um, Scott Farquhar, one of the co-founders and co-CEOs, talked about how the responsibility of the CEO and the CIO and their agendas are starting to, to converge uh, a lot. And more and more we're finding that uh, the HR agenda around culture and things like that is, is also being shifted more to like the CIO. And this concept of the old digital water cooler is, is uh, you know, perhaps more, more prevalent as a concept amongst folks. Um, and I think back when, there's a, there's a story, I don't know the details of it, but there's a story that, that Yahoo lost its edge when they went to a remote work model because people weren't around each other around the proverbial water cooler. Um, What are some things that you've learned that you could share with the audience today around like a digital water cooler? Like what is that equivalent? How do we, how do we get that interaction? I usually advocate against replicating the office that my core message in most of my talks is do not replicate the office when you go remote. Hmm because we really need to adopt a remote first mindset and look at communication and collaboration slightly differently. The most common question I get is how do I do this practice that we used to have in a collocated environment in my remote office? So my default answer to that is what was the purpose of that practice? Mm. So what was the purpose of the water cooler conversations that you had? How about you answer me that and I'll help you get, get clarity on that. Uh, yeah, the idea is the water cooler is there to, to get water. That's its purpose, right? But because people go to it, it is a place where people then exchange ideas or catch up on the fly. 
and don't wait for that meeting because, hey, it's on my mind. I see Jim or Sue at the water cooler. I just go ahead and spark the conversation. Mm-hmm. The conversations that are sparked spontaneously. Can we right. call it serendipity? Perhaps. <laughs> Perhaps. Mm-hmm. So spontaneity and serendipity are things that do not mm-hmm. normally happen on their own in a remote setup. So what can we do to get that? If that is the purpose, to create serendipity, Space. to create that possibility. Mm-hmm. Culture in a remote organization needs to be created intentionally. So I remember back in 20, uh, actually 2002, mm-hmm. I was still in, a student and I attempted to translate a book in entrepreneurship. And I remember this, uh, it, it, the book never came out, by the way, I dropped out of that team of translators. <laughs> but I remember that I was learning about culture in organizations. And there was a really beautiful sentence there that said, culture cannot be created. It can only be discovered and nurtured. And I think it's even more relevant today because suddenly we're remote, right? We mm-hmm. had a culture in our co-located offices. Now that we're remote, how has our culture changed? If we don't discover that, if we can't articulate that, we can never nurture it or change it. At the same time, there is one of the speakers at my summit, uh, Laila von Alpensleben. She will be talking about how to create culture intentionally in a remote organization. And she has a really great story and example to share. One of the things that I've learned from her is the fact that nowadays it's even more important to have a person or a group of people whose sole role and responsibility in the company is to monitor how the culture is changing and create that space to create it intentionally. Hmm. Back to serendipity, that's part of the job of these people. Creating maybe, this is a very simple example for a small team. Mm -hmm. For your team, you can have a a daily, weekly, bi-weekly, placeholder in your calendars Mm -hmm. where you can show up or not and talk about anything that you want. What's on your mind? Cool. What's on your mind? Yeah. One of my clients was calling it what's cooking. So every Friday they would meet and talk about what's cooking in in the company. They talked about Uh gossip that they had heard or whatever their reflection was about the changes and anything really. Did did people show up for that? Like did, was, did, everybody show up for that every time or did it become kind of a thing that oh well harry's not showing up for what's cooking what's up with him (laughs) this particular thing was actually something that most people showed up and i Mm -hmm. think that the role that the leadership has had played there was crucial because the leader of that department who had initiated this and this meeting this environment for people to vent and talk about anything was so amazing at starting and creating a safe space so mm-hmm. even he would share a gossip that okay. he had heard in the company right he was like oh, wow. so have you guys heard about like we may be acquiring this other company and people were like yeah, we picked up on that. What's what's the deal? And he'd be like, well, option? I don't know much, you know. <laughs> Interesting. Yeah, but creating a safe environment, that's the key. Yeah. Wow, Malud, I'm, I'm looking at your background and it looks great. It's virtual though, right? Is it? It is virtual. What is it? It's just a living room. It's just some pictures. With huh? beautiful it's, design and I colors, right? I love it. Yes, I love it. So I guess that what I'm, what I'm, so where I'm going with this is, you know, um, we're kind of talking about, you know, working remote and doing, 
doing all this stuff online and how, you know, I guess is a mega question, how has employee productivity and efficiency been affected? And then, you know, what about the relationship between remote work and routine? Um, as you see it, are there, are there like some tips and tricks that you can share about your own process and routine and, and other people's? And that's why I, I brought up the fact that to me, we just met, but you're really exuding a lot of energy. Like not everybody, can you help other people to, to be captivating in this setting? Right. Cause it's, some people might really shine around the water cooler and really kind of drift off into the background on a zoom meeting. Yeah. You know? mm -hmm. That's correct. That's very true. So I started with your first question around productivity. There has been some surveys done this year. I don't trust the results of those because hmm. this year is so exceptional. <laughs> they show that productivity is up. I still don't trust it. I mean, I do advocate for remote working. So I'm going to quote the numbers from a study that was done in 2013. That's a long time ago. Remote work was not really a thing back then. But that particular study that was done by Forbes and the majority of the participants were from Amex and Visa and MasterCard and fin fintech companies. The, the survey was done for, by 10,000 people, if I'm not mistaken. I should actually send you a link to that so you can share it in the show notes. So that study showed that about 77% of people who said that they were more productive. Then when it came to connection, there were 42% of people who said that they felt that they were just as connected. And there was 10% who said that they felt more connected hmm. to their colleagues. Hmm. So now looking at these numbers, 77% higher productivity. How are we doing this year? The numbers this year are around 60 to 64% in different studies. I, do, I said that I don't trust them because that this year we, we are in the honeymoon phase of remote working. Okay. And just like every team that you assess the productivity of, the happiness of in the beginning of the team formation, mm -hmm. they would think everything is amazing. These studies were done around April and June. We don't have data from September and November after people have okay. been in <laughs> their home for, for that long, right? <laughs> so I'll wait with that and see how productivity is impacted. Mm. From my own personal perspective, my productivity went low in the beginning of the pandemic and the, and the working from home situation. And then I started finding my way around that, finding how I can connect, how I can actually keep track of my work, how I can do a lot of the things that I used to do outside of mm. home in the past, mm. yeah. in this horrible situation that we're living in. So it has taken me a while and I think I'm able to articulate at least some of the things that I have tried that eventually succeeded. Wow. Number one, and my top one is creating boundaries. Mm -hmm. So I remember that in the past, even though I did never, I did not work from home, I always went outside. I mm. found my cafe of the day or my hotel lobby of the day, or maybe a co-working space of the day. And that change of environment really affected my brain. My brain was ready for work. Nowadays, how long is that commute from the bedroom to the kitchen table? <laughs> yeah, measured it's, in feet, it's crazy. not miles. Yeah. Yeah. 
So my, I, I actually like, I asked, you know, I kind of like ate my own dog food. So I asked you earlier, I said, what is the purpose of that practice? And that's the question I keep asking people when they say, what tool should I use to do this? And now I asked, what was that boundary serving me for? What was the purpose mm. of commuting? What was it behind it? And I mm. came up with, it was a physical boundary. So now I have created a physical boundary. My workplace is separate from where I do other things at my home. I don't take my computer away. I don't work on my phone. I literally have this sacred space where I only work from. Mm. And so. that has really made me more productive. It's funny. So I that's, just, that's my number one. That's cool. I have the same thing with the, the room I'm sitting in right now. It's where I've done all my, you know, live streams and Zoom meetings and guitar lessons and everything for the past six months. It's pretty cool. Well, you're, and you're lucky, right? There's a lot of, there's a lot of folks, um, and we have folks in our, in our team that are having a hard time finding that space because they just, they was, they're always accustomed to going to work. So they, they've had to get creative, or in some cases, they're just not in the best place to actually work from. They don't have the yeah. office. They don't have this room and space for themselves. So yeah. it's, it's something people are dealing with. I am with. one it's of hard. those people. Okay. I'm literally one of those people. I live in, in central Stockholm. So if mm -hmm. you have ever been to Europe in... Oh, yeah. Nordic Dense. cities, you know that central Stockholm apartments, if you're not super rich, you probably won't get that much space. Right. I live in a pretty small place. I My apartment has one bedroom and one living room. So where do you think like I, I kind of <laughs> like took one of those rooms over? No, that's not what I did. Yeah. In the beginning of the lockdown era, I realized for the first time that I did not have a desk. Mm. Right. It, it just hits me. I never worked from home. Right. I was a remote worker who always went out. So what did I do? I thought, okay, should I buy a desk because I don't really have a space for it? Mm -hmm. So I, I kind of borrowed the table that we had on the balcony. Mm -hmm. I cleaned it up and brought it in and that became my workspace. Okay. For a while, I even used my ironing table as a standing desk so I could work from that. Mm. I've, so I've got to super creative. Yeah, but what I have is a corner of the room that's yeah. dedicated to work mm -hmm. and nothing else. Mm. That's great. So um, up until October of 2019, uh, we, we had a corporate traditional office space. Um, and we had these just long running debates. Uh, people want to work from mm -hmm. home, they want to work remote. And we, we did everything we could to accommodate. But also having that piece of real estate that cost us real money, we were sometimes also reluctant to say, you know, just... All right, whatever, you know, go do whatever you want to do, right? And, and to some extent, there was an argument also that FaceTime was necessary and important. And I think it still is, right? Yeah, but you have to find room for that and a way of doing that. Um, but we we ended up uh, getting out of that real estate that we were in. And one of the, there were a few kind of driving principles behind it. The most important one on top to us was that it also gives us a freedom um, to, when you work remotely, uh, it gives you that freedom to just, well, now that you're not committed to this particular desk, this particular place, you can go other places that, you know, uh, are more exciting to you or whatnot, or, you know, go work with family in some other city if you want to, and it's not a big deal. Um, but another most very important kind of critical factor for us or, or principle driving our decision was uh, kind of an environmental um, side, is that if we've got so many people driving to the office across town, we're emitting a lot of CO2. Um, what, what are your thoughts on, and maybe you've studied this as well, but like what kind of impacts can we make positively by working remotely or working from home as opposed to commuting to the office? 
Very good question, and an important one. You guys remember those videos and images that were shared around the internet uh, about how clean the environment was becoming yep. after yeah. lockdown? You could see the Himalayas for the first time in so many years. Yeah. Yeah, and you had dolphins in Venice, and yeah, we, we, we really saw that the impact that we had made on our environment and how much of it changed. It is still true. We are reducing our carbon footprint. We are working, like working from home is literally and very effectively impacting the betterment of our environment. Mm. There's also a really interesting studies that were published in around 2016. And one of them said, uh, the, the number of buildings that we're gonna need for the next 20 years is already created, it's already built, it's already here. Mm. And it, I, I don't know if they were predicting the pandemic and the lockdown or if it was just like an actual structural study that was done. But it just reminded me, like your question reminded me of that article that I had read back then. Right. And I'm thinking, if that's true, what are we going to do with all those buildings? Huh. All these empty office buildings. You, you just read our, our mind because that was the next question. Uh, oh. And the question was, do you have any ideas on how to sustainably repurpose the office, the brick and mortar spaces, the building, you know, the skyscrapers? What's going to happen if we already had enough in 2016 and everyone's <laughs> at home and no one's sitting in your favorite hotel lobby and coffee shop? What's going to happen now with all that? Well, full disclosure, I am no sustainability engineer and know that there are better qualified people than me to answer this question, but I can share what I think about it. Mm. So, ha have you ever been asked if money was no object, what would you do in the world? Sure. Mm. So I've been asked this question and it was very hard to answer, but I think <laughs> my ultimate goal in life is to feed the hungry and to provide homes for those that are homeless. And this question just brings me to that. I think that it's it's a huge opportunity for us to repurpose some of these empty offices and with the economy that is going down right now, I'm, I'm expecting or maybe predicting that joblessness with, will be higher, homelessness will be higher. And I think one of the greatest things that we can do at a large scale would be to repurpose them and turn them potentially into low-cost homes. Mm. And where I live, in this side of the world, it's incredibly difficult to even rent a home. The housing market in the Nordics is really difficult. In many major European cities, it's very difficult to find a place. Many, many young people, even young families, are sharing a home. That's not really normal in the US or in Canada. You have a lot of space and your cities are a little widespread versus in Europe. It's been a challenge. Housing has been a challenge. And the first thing that pops into my head is let's just invest, pay some good engineers and change the infrastructure, maybe pick the buildings with good bones and turn them into low cost homes for mm. young people, young families and all these people who have potentially lost their jobs. Mm. The next thing that I have witnessed this year is what happened with hotels in countries and cities that were very hardly hit with COVID. Mm -hmm. And that was when uh, hotels turned into temporary hospitals. Right. So they immediately, like, they very, very quickly, they equipped themselves, their rooms, and they turned into hospitals. This happened in mm. Spain, this happened in Italy, this happened in China. Mm. So that's another thing that I can think of. But beyond that, I'm out.
Do you have any ideas what we could do with all these empty offices? <laughs> those, those are two great ideas. I mean, it, it's going to be such a tricky thing because obviously the people that, that own those mega buildings and all the money behind the companies that own those mega buildings and what they're trying to get out of that huge investment to build such buildings, it would be a really tough sell to say, oh, we're going to turn your you know skyscraper into a low-income housing or free housing yeah it, like we need you said it would have don't we what's that we need better governments right as i was gonna yeah, say but... you'd, you'd, ha you'd have to have tremendous grants from from the governments to to make that yeah. kind of thing happen obviously that's because they, they essentially have to buy the, the governments would have to buy the structures you know what I mean? but ultimately these structures have to be utilized and utility yeah. is, a, is a revenue. I mean, it's, you know, you have to lease it out to somebody. Yeah. So maybe, yeah. maybe there's some common ground that uh, these big developers, these big, you know, real estate owners have that at least they're getting, you know, at least they're getting some rents, right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. I, I don't remember which state in the U.S. it was, but there was a few years ago, there was, there was a, a university building that was repurposed to become a very modern medical center mm -hmm. and they they went with this bold idea of having a medical center that works very differently compared to the regular ones so they had a concierge in the and the front desk and the patients had literally zero wait time there was no waiting room and it it was all happening because they repurposed it and sure. they had the infrastructure in place they had enough bathrooms enough washrooms enough places to establish labs and all of that and i think that's that's another thing that we might need to think about at least temporarily until this pandemic is around well so let's let's get back to some more about remote or remote work um your, your main focus and so kind of looking forward, um, what impact do you think remote work will have on the future of our society? Um, and you know, how do you see it evolving beyond 2021? What do you think about the future? Hmm. What do I think about the future? I think the future has already started showing <laughs> its face to us. I think we're going to be more accepting that remote work is the reality. I started this recording, this podcast recording by saying that I founded my business to show the Agile community that remote work was our reality that we needed to respond to. And I think when I started, I had a small impact and now everybody has seen it. Everybody knows that this is real and I think it will only increase in that sense. Now what I see is not necessarily that we would all be working from this terrible situation of working from home, <laughs> but that we would actually get to the essence of what remote working has been about, and that mm -hmm. is freedom. Yep. I think mm. that remote work, in essence, is giving people the freedom to work and collaborate from wherever they are most productive. Mm. Yeah, I can, so That I can, can be your home, it can be your office. Well, I can attest to that. I mean, in October, when we moved out of the real estate space, I personally felt an this is huge amount of freedom and knowing that I can go anywhere in the world and as long as I have internet and power, I can be as productive mm -hmm. as I was going in a day, day in, day out in that office. And yeah, it's, yeah. it's been very, very liberating personally. And I think, I mean, Garrett, you you commented on my wall that I'm actually like in a, in a physical like building 
the last few podcasts we did, uh, once I was out in this in the woods in Colorado, and once in this shed in Colorado, because we're able to just conduct business just anywhere you are. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Another thing that I can predict is how our legal system and country policies are going to change to accommodate this way of working. Right now, many companies still require people to have a work permit for that company and that country to be able to recruit that person but now with the with the move to a more global remote work lifestyle we need to change our country policies for recruitment for law the the laws that surround recruitment and employment as well as the policies in the company so now you can no longer say hey employee here is your perk you have free lunches on the ping pong table <laughs> you know nobody buys that the, you kind of have to adapt that yeah, yeah it's it, the quality of the work but also like providing people the equipment the infrastructure well, and all of that like j- just think about security that companies need to invest in sure. security has always been an afterthought in many companies right well, they, they had like one or two security engineers who created the environment and they just they just put firewalls around the internal system and they made sure that if you were in the building you had access to stuff if you were out the building tough luck but now we really need to invest in making it possible so Mm. people can work from any device any network Mm. anywhere in the world and still have that secure environment companies become cloud first is pushing the digital transformation and I think, you know, there's been a lot of studies on diversity in the workplace and how companies that are more diverse do better. The fact that people can work anywhere in the world and you can hire people from any in the world now, um, I think means that you're going to get more diversity. You know, I can have someone from Italy. I can have someone from, you know, Stockholm. I can have someone from the U.S., someone from Mexico, all on the same team and, and therefore bringing in more diversity, more perspective on how things can be done. So I think it's exciting. It is exciting. It's also very challenging. Certainly. Imagine that you you guys are mostly in the U.S., right? I live in Europe. Mm-hmm. So when, when I want to collaborate with people, <laughs> yeah, exactly. So it's, it's not just the time zones. It's also the language. And yeah. as you mentioned, it's also the culture. So another shift that I notice and I think that is necessary mm-hmm. to happen is understanding how to build culture with multiple languages, multiple religions, yeah. multiple backgrounds and beliefs. And that's no easy job. Right. That's part of uh, part of why I have created education to teach people what does inclusion truly mean in a remote first culture. Hmm. How do how do you even consider that? Right. In the past, you could say, okay, our office is on the floor, so if you're on a wheelchair, you're welcome. Now it's not even a question to ask yourself. Like you, you can't even ask someone. So, are you on a wheelchair or can you walk? Because mm. it's none of your business, right? right you right. need to focus on how to create that inclusive culture. Okay. Yeah, right on. That's beautiful. Well, cool. Uh, you want to do the uh, the speed round? G, yeah. you want to you want to kick it off? Okay. Uh, we, we like to just kind of uh, wrap up what's been such a wonderful conversation with a little speed round. Of some lighthearted questions. So uh, here we go. Early bird or night owl? Early bird. I'm going to screw this up. I'm just going to say it. I don't speak Swedish. Kringle or Knackbrud? Knackbrud. 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 What's Knackbrud? It's a bread that you can break. It's uh, like a biscuit, but it's mm-hmm. bread. Hard bread, yeah. What's Kringle? 
uh, is something I don't like. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, invisibility or flight? Oh, that's a tough one. I love them both. Let's go with flight. (laughs) Paper book or ebook? Paper book. ABBA or Licky Lee? Ugh. Neither? Can I go with neither? (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Burn down chart or burn up chart? Burn up chart. Oh, okay. First for me. Uh, Lord of the Rings or Harry Potter? Ooh, Lord of the Rings. All right. Magazines (laughs) or newspaper? Oof, tough one. Newspaper. Okay. Changes more often. Okay. And then my last (laughs) question, Swedish fish or gummy bears? Ooh, Swedish fish. Okay. Nice. <laughs> I, I'm curious. Um, your last name is uh, Secarelli. Is that a proper pronunciation? Well, you can pronounce it Secarelli or Ceccarelli. Ceccarelli. Okay. How many languages do you speak? Uh, fluently three, non-fluently five. All right. Well, so fluently three, English, Swedish. It's English, Swedish, and Farsi. Farsi. Okay. And then the other two? Uh, French and Spanish. Wow. Very cool. Impressive. Very European of you. We in the U.S. are lucky to have two languages that we speak. <laughs> that's push- speak that's pushing it. I speak Spanish, yeah. Yep. Yeah. Spanish is, is something I'm learning right now. It's not very easy to, to pick up. It's the same as with French. So I'm picking up two la- these two languages at once. And if you think about it, Swedish is a Germanic language in terms of root. Mm-hmm. Farsi has nothing to do with any of these. And English is a Latin language, so they're all so different. Okay. <laughs> it, I think learning languages really changes the way you think. Absolutely. It really changes the, the neuroplasticity of your brain, it seems. Absolutely. How, how are you going about learning the French and Spanish right now? So my family name that you asked, it's actually from my husband. So I got married last year, oh, even though like I've known my husband for 12 years. So <laughs> it's not really news. But I, I picked his family name and he's French, but from the south of France, mm-hmm. where it's, it's very close to Italy. Sure. So his first name is very French and his last name is very Italian. Mm. Okay. Very cool. And Spanish is something I started learning a few years ago, but I kind of dropped it. So mm-hmm. I had a team that was part in Stockholm, part in Barcelona, and part in London. Yeah. And this company that I was a part of, they were providing free language courses. Wow. And they had oh, the languages wow. of countries where they had an office in, which meant English, Swedish, and Spanish. Okay. And I spoke two of those, so I took Spanish <laughs> and great. continued. Wow. Good on you. But uh, yeah, good, good point though. L- language is, is very instrumental to how we think and what we can actually yeah. conceptualize in our minds and the ability to speak more languages opens you up to more concepts because there are words in other languages that don't exist in other languages and it's such a fascinating topic I think we could talk about for probably hours as well. <laughs> yeah, we could. There are innovations happening in that space that are making remote working more, more like, can you say easier maybe? Okay. There are live translation apps that you can maybe download on your computer, install in your Zoom calls and wow. other things to, to mm. make it possible for people to communicate in their native tongue ah. and still be able to understand each other. Mm. Fascinating. Malud, when we're having this conversation right now, um, it's, it's incredibly enjoyable and you have, uh, you're glowing and you have this amazing energy of, of, about you and it's very captivating, which is often hard to achieve on a Zoom. 
uh, meeting or other kind of you know remote connectivity. So, how do you do it? How, how do you how do you come across like this? What can can you help us? <laughs> oh, can you help us? <laughs> Number one, remember that the people that you're seeing on your screen are people. They are human beings. They're not moving pictures or just some not unknown person that you don't know. See people as humans. That's number one. Number two is relax. It's okay to show your home. I have a virtual background here. I can turn it off and you can see that there's a white wall behind me. So the reason why I have a virtual background is literally to just make it a little more pleasant for, for the people that are seeing me. If you can, Share a little bit of yourself with people. Show them your cat, your dog, your, I don't know, the object that you keep on your desk. Make it easy for other people to see you as human. So number one is see others as human. Number two is make it easy for others to see you as human. And number three is invest in the equipment that you use. I told you that I didn't have a desk in my home, which means that I'm not really bound to my home. I have a very small portable uh, microphone and a small portable camera and my laptop and very good headphones. I can travel with that anywhere. I can move my workstation anywhere. But at some point, I made the choice to invest a little bit of money into getting high quality equipment that allows me to be able to connect and have this level of humanity in our connection. The other part of that is Years and years and years of being socially awkward and not really knowing how to connect with people. And then later on learning about emotions and the fact that before arguing and addressing rational and logical thinking, we need to realize that human beings are emotional beings. Just accept that we all have emotions. You can be sad, I can be angry, and we can hold space for each other to just show that emotion and then be happy together. Okay. Uh, so Malud, tell us, uh, where can we find more information about you, about your conference, and the things that you're working on? Uh, you can find about my conference on its website. That's remoteforeversummit.com. In 2020, it's live from November 11th to 17th. If you're listening to this podcast episode after that date, you can still go to that website and purchase a premium pass, which gives you access to all the recordings. Other places would be remoteforever.com. That's the website of my company where you can find all the information about the services that I provide, including courses, workshops, and whatnot, as well as take away my ebook that you can find at remoteforever.com slash ebook. I'm making it available for free for everybody who is picking it up before the end of 2020. And after that, that's up to the publisher. And on social media, you can find me on Twitter at Remote Forever. You can find me on LinkedIn by simply just looking up my name. And you can also find me on Instagram again at Remote Forever. Well, Malud, it's been a real pleasure. Thank you for joining us. Jay, good to see you again, brother. Thank you so much for having me. Awesome. Yeah, thank you guys so much. Thank you so much, Malou. Thanks for listening to the Digital Transformationists podcast, brought to you by Precipio Consulting. Be sure to visit our webpage to check out our other episodes, access show notes and links, and listen to some great bonus content. Like what you heard? Subscribe, rate, and leave us a review. 
and tell a friend. We love making new friends. I'm executive producer Katie Thomas. Victor Vargas is our engineer. Alejandro Caballero is our editor. Thanks for tuning in.